Right, the book of Ruth. Only a small little four-chapter book in the Bible. Um, the intention is we're going to spend five weeks studying this. That's the intention, uh, Lord willing. Um, we spent a week on all of the chapters. Um, I think it was four weeks. And the last week we're going to come back and look at um, some of the models and types and the prophetic significance of the book. Um, the more I've studied this over the last... Um, two or three weeks getting ready for, for this evening, um, the more I've been amazed at the depth here, um, and the more I'm absolutely convinced that we're just going to scratch the surface in these five weeks, um, and if we spend longer, uh, there's still so much more that we can find here. So, um, it's a, it's very, fairly well known. that The book of Ruth is, is considered by many, many scholars uh, and Christians alike to be uh, one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. Um, now, I'd just like to qualify that, that word. If I use it uh, again, uh, understand what I mean. When I say stories, uh, I sometimes feel there's a, a danger that people then think these aren't actually real things, real events that took place, because we're used to stories being something that wasn't necessarily true. Um, and we grew up with children's stories and things. Um, but when we're talking about stories from Scripture, we're talking about accounts of things that actually took place. Um, so we just sort of clarify that before we move further. Um, as we're going to see as we move into the text in the moment, the the events that took place um, that are recorded in this book uh, happened during the period of Judges. And we've got the first five books of the Bible, um, which Moses is um, credited with writing, uh, certainly by Jesus, which is good enough for me. Um, and then um, we move into Joshua, uh, and then after Joshua, uh, we move into the period of the Judges, when um, really the... Um, the nation of Israel was in a real um, spiritual chaos, uh, a very dark period of time. We're going to look at that in a moment. Um, if you've got your Bibles open at the book of Ruth, and uh, just uh, for information, I'm reading from a King James Bible, <coughs> so without any bits missing. And um, The last verse of Judges, which will be on the page before Ruth, just simply says, uh, in uh, Judges 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Um, the book of Judges reads like a commentary of the world today, uh, because we still find people, we find nowadays, that people are doing what is right in their own eyes. You know, you have your truth, I have my truth, and etc. Um, but that's that was the period of Judges. Um, and... Amongst that, Ruth stands out like a diamond on a black cloth. If you've been into a jeweler's, and um, any of you that are, are married, and certainly men, you'll have that experience where you've probably bought something with your wife at some time. There's always a black cloth to really make it stand out and look beautiful. And in a sense, that's what the book of Ruth is like. Uh, amidst the season of storms, it's like a really, really beautiful sunny day. It just, just stands out incredibly. So, um, and I'll talk about the, the timing um, in a moment. Um, but uh, the key theme to the book um, it is far more than just a love story. And um, sadly, a lot of people just seem, seem to see the book as a love story, which there is that element to it, but it's far more than just that. And the, the theme of the book, as we'll see as we go through, really, uh, is this, this whole idea of redemption. Now, what do we mean by redemption? Uh, the dictionary defines redeem as to recover possession or ownership of by payment. Uh, of a price of service to regain. And so it's, it's kind of regaining something, claiming something that was, was lost or, or uh, passed um, to someone else. So, um, uh, and we'll, we'll see in this book um, so many models as, as we go through. And uh, um, whilst I want to spend the last week focusing on that, um, the, the real key thing um, is the. We won't be able to hide the models as we go through. We'll spend the last week focusing on that. But, um, the models are just going to be apparent to go through. You can't hide them. Um, and it's amazed me again that some of the traditional commentaries don't even notice it. Uh, they just skip over it. Um, but, um, so we'll, we'll have fun as we go through that. Um, uh, on the surface, uh, as we read through, we see the account of uh, this Jewish lady by the name of Naomi. Um, and we read about her loss and then uh, her subsequent regaining or redemption, if you like, of that which was lost. Uh, we also see the redemption of the land um, that had also been sold. Um, we see the redemption and purchasing of this um, this lady by the name of Ruth, um, who was a Gentile. 
um, and she um, becomes the wife of this man named Boaz, who uh, fulfills this role, as we will see, this, this phrase will keep popping up, of the kinsman redeemer. By kinsman, we just mean somebody who's related, that relative, part of the family. Um, and uh, what, as I say, we're going to do, look at the, the historical level first. So as we're going to go through this, we'll just deal with what the text says, and there's so many lessons that, that apply to us today, uh, and then we'll go from there. And lots of practical things. Um, but um, just want to just whet your appetite in a sense. Um, in Hosea um, chapter 12, verse 10, um, God says, I've spoken, um, so I've also spoken by the prophets, and I've multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. The word similitude basically means a type or a model. Um, if you're going to build something, then you may well make a model of it first uh, to give you an idea, a, re a visual representation of what it's going to be like when it's completed. And what God's saying is that in the Bible, he's given us models or types of things that are yet to come. Um, and uh, he's done it through the work of the prophets, which we've got recorded in scripture. Uh, we've talked about some of those types before. Um, one of the classic ones we know about is Abraham and Isaac. Abraham offered up Isaac, um, and, um, or was about to. Uh, and that, that models the whole of the, the, the crucifixion thing where Jesus, um, uh, the son of the father, obviously, um, sacrificed in our place. And we know that actually the place where Abraham was to uh, offer up Isaac is exactly the same as if he was crucified 17,000 years later. And so we see a model there. And there's lots of other uh, things in, in that account. Uh, when we get around to Genesis, uh, which will probably be, uh, we'll be back around to January, Genesis after we've done Daniel after the summer break. Uh, we'll go through that and we'll see some incredible models there. But um, uh, as we, we look at Ruth, 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 um, uh, we'll see some of these things. Now, as I say, on the surface, we, we just got a, a wonderful story, um, and it is a wonderful story, but the models that we see are nothing to be breathtaking. And it's really, I knew there were some of these things there, but the more I've gone into it, it's just it's really incredible. Um, so, um, we'll see that the, the models that God uses um, prefigure the whole work of redemption in God's plan of mankind. It is one little book, in a sense, uh, lays out God's plan of salvation and everything else, and not just for believers, for Christians, but also for Jews. Uh, what we're going to specifically look at and see when we get there is how Naomi is a type of Israel. Okay? Um, and through unbelief and rejection of God is expelled from the land. If you think about what's happened to Israel, exactly what's happened to Israel. Um, being dispersed among the Gentiles, which obviously Naomi was. Um, later to be brought home in bitterness before being restored. When you think about what's happened to Israel, they've come back to the land, they to back to the land, but there's still rejection of God, they don't accept God. Uh, apparently, a lot of Israel, a lot of the Jews out there, uh, claim to be atheists. Um, and we can see the parallel in that. Um, we'll also obviously see Ruth, who's a type of the church, being a Gentile bride. Um, who finds grace in the eyes of Boaz, who is kinsman redeemer, is a type of Jesus. Um, let's explore these more as we go through it. Um, and then, of course, there's the land itself. Um, and in the account we have here, the land was lost, only to be redeemed again by Boaz. As we said, Boaz is a type of Christ. Um, and as Adam lost the title deed to the earth, way back at the beginning, we'll see that um, Jesus will reclaim the earth. Uh, as Boaz reclaimed the, the land as we go through this account. Um, and that really is uh, much of what Revelation is about, because it's reclaiming the title of the earth. So um, that's just kind of a, a glimpse of some of the models that, that, that are hidden underneath the surface of this. Um, but it's really, really incredible. Um, the book's only 85 verses long. Um, and uh, as I said, there's, there's, kind of, there's three levels. The first level is historical. So what we're reading actually happened is an account of things that, that took place. Secondly, it serves as a real tutor for us to uh, instruct us and guide us in so many things that we face in this life, uh, particularly regard to commitment, faithfulness, trust, and these kind of things. Um, and then thirdly, as we said, it's a model laid out in advance of God's plan of redemption through Jesus. In the 85 verses, um, God's name is used 17 times. When you see Lord written, uh, let's just find an example of, um, 
because there's plenty of them in there. Uh, if you go just, I'm just looking at verse 8, uh, there's maybe others before that, but certainly in verse 8, um, you read there, And Naomi said unto her, Do daughter nor go return to each of mother's house, the Lord deal kindly with you. Now, Lord there is written in capital letters. So when we see that in the text, what that means is in the original Hebrew, um, it was actually um, Yahweh, or the four letters that the Jews used, which we pronounce as Yahweh or sometimes Jehovah. Uh, and it was for the Jews, it's the unpronounceable name of God. But that's what, what we see. So if you see Lord written capitals, that's why it's written capitals, as opposed to sometimes you may find it written with just a capital L. But that, that word, the, the Hebrew there, occurs um, 17 times. Uh, and then two other names we've got to use Elohim, which is used three times, which is the hint of the Trinity, uh, the way the name is, it's a plural word. Uh, and then El Shaddai as well, uh, who's familiar with the name of Grant Song. That word, uh, also meaning God Almighty or powerful. Um, and then this the idea of redeem, uh, redeem a kinsman also occurs over 20 times. So in 85 verses together with this, you, know, you really start to see that the theme itself is the redemption of God. The redemption by God of all these things. So. Um, timing. Now, this is something that a lot of commentaries are saying different things, and I thought, well, let's see what, what the Bible says. Is there any clues in the Bible? And there are. Um, obviously, we mentioned that the, the, the books occurs in the time of the Judges, as she says that in the text, it's in verse 1 in a moment. Um, judges itself covered a period around about 1400 to 1050 BC. Okay, so 1400 years before Jesus to about 1050 years before Jesus. That's the rough period of the Judges. Um, we also know, uh, this is helping us to place where it actually occurred, just for interest's sake, um, that according to the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, because in Matthew chapter 1 we've got a, a, a family history of Jesus, uh, and in that genealogy we find that Boaz is mentioned there, um, and uh, Boaz's father, we're told there, was uh, a guy by the name of Salmon, uh, also occurs at the end of Ruth, it's confirmed. Um, and Salmon um, married a lady by the name of Rachel. She was uh, the harlot who was in uh, Jericho, uh, who Joshua spared. Another story. Joshua there. Um, now, because of that, we know that if you think about the third generation of Mikey, um, we had um, Joshua, um, and then there was, we find that um, uh, Rahab uh, married Salmon, who would have been like the next generation down, and then it's the next generation after that. That we're looking at with Boaz. Okay, so it's not that far away from really the beginning of the events in the book of Judges. Um, now, in Judges 3, in fact, let's just, just turn there just to uh, see this. I think this is quite interesting. And to me, actually, all of a sudden, a few little things fell into place, and I thought this is quite interesting. Judges chapter 3. Um, Verse 15, uh, we've actually we'll started with verse 14 of Judges chapter 3. It says, um, So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left handed uh, by him. The children of Israel sent a present to And he goes on the story. Basically, Ehud then goes into the, the king uh, and pushes his, his dagger right into. This guy's stomach, this guy's a big fat cat, and the, the dagger goes in and his flesh shows up around it. You can leave the cat and get home if you really want to. Um, but that's the story. But as a result of that, we find that Israel then are, are delivered. And if we jump on to um, um, verse 27, in fact, verse 26, if we pick it up, Ehud then escapes and goes out the window and everything else. Uh, and Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarry and escaped into um, Seerath. Uh, and it came to pass when he was come. Uh, that he blew a trumpet in the mount of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and before them. And we go on to read that God gave him this great deliverance. Uh, and then if we jump down to verse 30, um, so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. So we have this, this thing where the king of, of Moab, and this is the, the country that we're going to deal with in a moment, where, where Naomi and her husband and that flee to, or, or go to, um, that um, Moab is kind of ruling and has got control over Israel. 
Um, God raises up Ehud, who then goes in and goes in and kills the king, and then comes back to Ephraim, and we'll find that this is Ephraim is the area where um, um, Naomi's husband and family came from. And we'll see that confirmed in a moment. Um, so it's very likely because he would have been a, a man of military age, he'd been over 20 years old, according to the Lord, he would have been able to fight. Um, it's very likely that he would have taken part in this campaign to go into Moab. Um, and then, obviously, God, by the hand, hand of the Israelites, then got the victory. And as a result of that, they had rest for 80 years. Now, what we're going to see in a moment is there's a famine comes in the land after, or we would presume after this time. Uh, and we find out that um, Naomi's family and Elimelech, who's the husband, then go into Moab. Now, when did it occur? We don't really know, but this is my conjecture from reading these things, that probably Elimelech would have been one of those soldiers that went in. And have you ever been somewhere on holiday and thought, well, this is nice. Uh, I think probably he went there, saw this place, thought, yeah, this is nice. He goes back to his own town and sets up and lives and you know, doesn't think any more of it. Family then occurs, and then he thinks, oh, I we can go. So that to me makes a lot of sense as to why he went there. It would also have been at a time when uh, Moab was suppressed and under uh, Jewish rule. So it would have been a, a safe haven in a sense. I mean, there's no way he would go in there uh, if uh, a time when Moab were antagonistic towards each other. And certainly that 80 year period would, would be certainly would fulfill what we're talking about. So that's just a conjecture. Um, but certainly to me gives a, a reason as to why he actually chose to do this and the, the time that it could have all occurred. So. Um, and if that conjecture is cor correct, um, then I just thought, how ironic. And this is so typical of us, and we, we've probably got so many similarities we can see in our own lives, that when God blesses us, now bear in mind, my, my suggestion is that he was part of the army that went into this land and um, got the victory, defeated Moab. But when God blesses us, so often the thing that God blesses us with becomes something that will then become a wedge between us and him. Uh, and this is why I think possibly has happened in this situation. That he, that he got to give him the victory over Moab, but having gone, gone to that place and seen that then becomes something that later on in his life becomes a real wedge that in a sense creates a barrier between him and God. And we'll find out that Elimelech actually then dies in that as well. Um, and I just thought, I mean, a couple of examples, uh, and you know, there's there's so many we could possibly think of. Um, but you know, the, the person that prays that God is going to give them a job, um, you know, and uh, they really seek the Lord, and then God gives them a new job, and then they say, oh well, I can't go to church this week because I've got three hours here, and this, and the job then becomes more important. So the thing that God blessed them with becomes something that actually gets them between them and God. Uh, another one that I've personally seen in the situation before: people pray desperately for children, God blesses them with children. Then, oh, we can't come to church for these weeks. You see, and the thing that, that God gave them, a child to bless them in, the, in the, uh, the situation, then becomes something that becomes a, a, a wedge that actually drives the comfort between them and God. Um, and there's just a couple of examples where I'm going to probably think of many, many more examples. Um, but I just, you know, I, I thought that was um, you know, very interesting. Uh, various commentators mentioned before that, you know, blessings that are not given back to God. Uh, if you remember, I just took an example of a child, but Hannah, who did about many tears, Samuel, um, dedicated Samuel back to the Lord. She prayed for the child and gave it back to the Lord. Um, but if we get any blessings, and it can be on any level, and we keep them for ourselves, it becomes a bit like the manner that we read about in Exodus 16, um, I've got the verses 14 to 20 there, um, where the, God provided this bread from heaven for them to eat, He provided for their needs. Um, but what happened was, uh, they were told they weren't allowed to keep it for the next day. Some of them did. Some disregarded what God had said to Moses. And they kept it for the next day. And the next day they got up and it says it's sick. And that's what happens with blessings that we take. Um, and then if you don't, don't surrender back to God. If God, is not, if God doesn't remain first, those blessings themselves uh, become, become a real problem to us. So, uh, and there's, there's real you know, scriptural basis for that. So I'll just, I'll just share that with you. Okay, um, the author of the book, uh, we don't know is the honest answer. Um, some think it's probably Samuel, uh, and certainly that would, would seem to fit. We, we do know it was it has to be uh, round about the time of Samuel, later simply because that we've got the genealogy going into King David. Okay? And some people, some of the commentators suggested that Samuel wrote the book, or, or, or recorded the story, wrote it down, um, to show the genealogy of David. It's a possibility. Um, 
but we do know that God wants it there. Um, the position of the book. Um, anyone know where it sits in the Bible? Beginnings. Um, you know, the eighth note in the octave is the octave, the eighth day of the week is the beginning of the new week, the eighth colour in the rainbow starts the new spectrum, etc. Eight new beginnings. Um, and the book records a new beginning for Naomi, uh, for Ruth, and for Boaz, uh, prophetically speaking, uh, of a new beginning for Israel, for the church, and Jesus will be united uh, with his bride and begin to rule. So all those things are in there. Um, the book is a story of grace um, that bridges the gap. Oh, this is fascinating. This is Joe Foch, um, the little gem here. Um, the, the, the book is a story of grace that bridges the time between the judges and the chaos during the time of the judges. Um, um, and then when the kingdom is established under David, um, first of all, Saul and then David, and then we get to Samuel. Because we've got Judges one side, Ruth there, and then we go on to Samuel. Uh, and Judges is kind of that bridge between this, this chaos and that. And when you think from a, from a prophetic point of view, um, there was effectively chaos and everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. We then had the cross. And now in this period of grace, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the establishment of the kingdom when the king takes the throne. That's that one. This book is sitting there right between those two points. Um, so there we go. Uh, and the, the king of kings that is going to return will also set up his throne in Jerusalem. Um, just one final thing before we actually then get into the text. Um, the importance of the book, I mean, clearly we know that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, um, as the King James puts it, so that we may be thoroughly furnished. You know, every part of scripture God has given us so that we may be completely furnished. And if we use the example of the house, the house that's furnished has got everything we need. Um, and everything we need to live in is there. And that's what God wants, is everything that we need um, for this life, to live this life, God has given us in His Word uh, and wants to be thoroughly furnished so we prepare for the situation. Um, and uh, obviously, this book is no exception. There is so much here that will furnish us with all sorts of things. Um, without the book, we, we don't actually have a reason why the Messiah needs to be born in Bethlehem. But this book gives us that reason why the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And so we see that. Um, also, the field. The shepherds were the night the angels came and Jesus was born. Um, it's almost certain that it was in the field's bones. Another little piece of the jigsaw, possibly. Um, and uh, uh, just about again, you know, there's, we've noted many times that, that um, there's no meaningless details that every detail, every name, every place name are all there by supernatural. And as we go through that, we start to see that all of the, the details that we, we find here are all there purely because God wants to be here to teach us things and these things. Um, okay, that's your introduction for the book. hope you've got all that. There will be notes. I've already started doing the notes, so we're doing like we've done the Revelation ones. So if you want to um, get them, uh, then they'll be done by the summer, hopefully. Um, so let's move into it. Ruth chapter 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons was Mahalon and Chilion, the Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. And Mahalon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters in law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters in law with them. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her uh, two daughters in law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with, uh, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, 
would you tarry for them until they were born? Would you stay for them uh, from having? Would you stay uh, for them from having husbands? Nay, my lord, it very grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is coming against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and offered kissed the mother-in-law that Ruth played unto them. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people, and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go, and whether thou lodge, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if out but death part for me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went, until they came to Bethlehem. It came to pass that when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mama, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, with him, which returned out of the country of Moab, when they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of our harvest. Okay, so that's the, the first chapter. Now, we start off there. Um, I just really like doing that. <laughs> That's all right, Lord. Yeah. Uh, now it came to, the, to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Um, now I just want to just look at the, the state that this was in. I know I've just mentioned this already, but I think it's worth looking. If we go to Judges chapter two, And we'll pick it up at verse 7. And it says there, uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders of that outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance uh, in Timnath, uh, uh, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. Also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and delivered them into the hand of spoilers, spoiled them, and sold them into the hand of their enemies round about, so that they could not, uh, not any longer stand before their enemies. With the they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, and the Lord had said, and so as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, they were greatly distressed. And verse 16, Nevertheless the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those who spoiled them. Um, and, um, we just just carries on really, just telling the way that God's um, because of their disobedience um, allow these other nations to cause them so much trouble. Um, now just just to jump to verse three, um, sorry, chapter three rather, um, beginning of verse one. It says, "Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them." Uh, we read there that Joshua didn't drive out all the nations that were there; um, left some of them. And these are the ones that were left. It says, uh, even as many of Israel as have not known uh, the wars of Canaan, only that generation of the children of Israel uh, might know to teach them war at the least, sorry, at the least such as before nothing thereof. And it goes on to talk about these areas that they didn't conquer, um, which it's no surprise to find out that they are in the disputed territories in Israel. The areas that were not conquered uh, are the areas of the West Bank, Gaza, and the those three areas specifically, the areas that, that Joshua didn't conquer, uh, as God had told them they should do, and the people after Joshua didn't, didn't deal with those areas, they left their enemies there, and the enemies are still there to this day. Still cause problems with Israel. So anyway, that's that's the, the, the kind of you know, the, the what's going on in, in the land at this time and you know, the problems that have been occurring. Um, 
So the days when the judges ruled. Um, and then we're told that there was a famine. Now, in Deuteronomy um, 28, um, various verses there, uh, we're told that famine was going to be a res- one of the results of disobedience. Um, that God was going to judge Israel if they didn't obey him. Um, and if they, didn't, if they obeyed him, there was going to be loads of blessings. If they disobeyed him, there was going to be curses. And one of, the, one of those things was that they would experience famine, that the, the ground would become really hard and such, very difficult for them. Um, so straight away we've got some kind of inclination of what's going on here. Um, the, the reason for the famine was because of national disobedience. People who had stopped um, serving the Lord and uh, turned aside to other gods, etc. Um, and I'll see hints of that as we go through. Um, I thought it was very interesting that there's actually in Scripture natural famine. There's various famines recorded. Um, but um, in the land of Israel, anybody like guess how many? There's actually seven natural famines. Now, there were famines caused because there were sieges. So when you know enemies of Israel were, were blocking in, you know, in Jerusalem, etc., there was a, a siege in the days of Jeremiah, and there's various other ones mentioned there as well. Um, but the actual, if it's like natural famines that occurred, um, there's actually seven of them. Um, you'll be familiar probably with these, but there's the Genesis 12 one, which is in the days of Abraham, after he went off to Egypt. We also have the Genesis 26, when Isaac also came into captivity. Uh, we then have Genesis 51, when Jacob came into captivity. Now, not the, those themselves weren't necessarily judgments of God. They were part of God fulfilling his plan and his purpose. Um, and in this one here, um, Ruth kind of says that the first three of those, they say, weren't actually specifically judgments. The last three definitely were judgments, and we're told they were. Ruth sits in the middle of the famine that we're looking at here. And it's a combination because it is part of judgment, but it's also part of God working his purposes specifically, as we're going to see in those three themselves. Oh, I'm not sure that Very good. I like it. Um, famines are often a turning point, uh, as we read in the first part of the scripture. The one probably most familiar to us is the account of the song. Very similar accounts to that we read here. Um, left his home, went away, um, uh, and eventually, when he got to that stage, he was really low. And, uh, he's eating the big food. He stopped to think to himself, I should go back to my father's That's what he does. Um, but it got him to the point where there's a famine thing that really made him realise that, you know, this is a sin. Um, and, uh, you know, famines are often certainly scripture, they're a turning point for, for you know, whatever reasons. Uh, I thought it was interesting as well because I believe we've got one coming up. We're in the middle of a famine at the moment. Um, but as Amos uh, chapter 8 11 says, it's, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. But of hearing the word. That's the fact that we're in the land today. Underline it for us. Not feeling it, but it's really sad that um, Bible believing Christians, as they would confess themselves, um, seem to be able to conduct their lives without much reference to the word. And there is a famine of hearing the word. Um, but I think we come up with that. Because I think that there will be a division. We talked about this before, but I, I just mentioned that because in, in all the, the references in Scripture, famines have been things that have made a difference. I think we're in the middle of one of those now. Very interesting to see you know, the next um, you know, day, weeks, years ahead. Um, I just put a note also because um, I know the ladies have um, done it a lifestyle, but the night seasons also bring about those changes in circumstances as well as they make us look at a very situation. Uh, very much like we have going on here. Uh, this famine in the land produced an action. And so often when we have famines, it produces an action. Now the question we've got to ask ourselves is which way do we go in these situations? Anyway, uh, we then carry on. Um, still verse 1, don't know I mean. Um, that a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. Okay. Well, Bethlehem um, means the house of bread. Which is interesting in itself. Um, yet there was no bread there. But what were they to do? Well, we know already that everyone did what was what seemed right in their own eyes, and so Elimelech takes his family to Moab. Now, in um, various scriptures, um, and Psalm 60, verse 8, and Psalm 108, verse 9, God says, Moab is my washpot, uh, and then goes on to talk about other nations. Uh, you know, Moab is that nation that God just washes his hands over. You know, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a nation. The, the actual, the, the Moab as a country, um, 
don't know if you can see this very well, but um, it just helps you graphically to see it. Um, we have here Israel. Um, Jericho's there, and Jerusalem is uh, right about there. Okay. Bethlehem is there. Uh, this is the Dead Sea there. The Sea of Galilee up there. Uh, and Moab is this side. That's where Moab is. Talk a little bit more about Moab in a moment. Um, but, um, uh, where are we? Um, yes, yeah, so, so Elimelech decides in this family he's going to do something. So he takes his family to Moab, uh, which, as I said, was called Washpot. So yeah, he's leaving a place that was known as the House of Bread to go for Washpot and just throw away his life to you know, see the ironies. Um, but, you know, it's interesting, it's a picture of all of us. When we experience drought in our lives because we're not where God would have us, we went to Moab and said, your food, I need to die in that place as well. Um, some of these ideas we kind of um, develop in the moment. Um, what Elimelech and Spanish should have done to rather than to run around solving problems earlier. Um, but um, again, no uh, meaningless details in the Bible, as mentioned. Um, it, what does it actually say? Where a certain man of where? Bethlehem Judah. Why does it need to say Bethlehem Judah? We know that. That's where it is. Well, it's, well, a few occasions in scripture where, where we have this kind of double barrel. You know, Bethlehem is Bethlehem. It's qualified by anything else, but here it is. Judah means praise. So we cannot have here house bread praise. And I thought, what else do we need? You know, if we've got bread, we need the word of God. Jesus says, you know, it's not bread alone, but every word proceeds from the mouth of God. And bread and praise, they're the two things. You know, and so many churches function on so many other things as well as that. They're not necessary. The word of God and praise. Um, I, I thought that was just amazing. Um, yeah, I just uh, put a note there of what Isaiah says. Isaiah says, you're keeping the perfect peace between yourself and me. And Elimelech, rather than seeking God in this situation, Decides he's going to go and do his thing and takes his family off. Um, anyway, so they sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, Moab, we know, was um, one of the. Um, well, Moab was the son of Lot's daughter. Okay? Uh, after Lot had left Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Mrs. Lot returned to the assault. And uh, they had, Lot was left with two daughters, uh, who then uh, got their father drunk and each turned step with their father and had two. Child each. Um, Moab was one of those children, and then the um, In Numbers 22, now we're not going to go through this now, if you want to look at them yourselves, you can, but we have the account of um, Balaam and Balak, where uh, King Balak of Moab tried to get Balaam to come and remember the donkey and all this, and try to get them to come and curse Israel. And this is just as Israel were, were approached the promised land, as you saw the map a minute ago. And Moab's just the other side of where Israel is very, very close in that respect. We have all of that. Uh, also, uh, Moses dies in Moab. Uh, Moses uh, didn't actually get to cross into the promised land, it was in Moab that he died. Um, and very interestingly, in Daniel 11 41, Moab is going to be one of those places that is not commanded to go back to Jeremiah chapter 48 is the whole chapter of prophecy about Moab. And it ends by saying, Yet I will bring again the captivity of Moab in the latter days, says the latter days, says the Lord, thus far as the judgment of Moab. So we have this, this recorded judgment of Moab because of the way they dealt with Israel and all the other things. Uh, but God is saying, Why? It's very interesting knowing what's coming up in the tribulation, but, um, you know, particularly with um, Israel fleeing into the Okay. <coughs> Right, we're going to verse 2. It says, And uh, the name of the man was Elimelech. And his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons was Marlon and Chilion, Evathites uh, of Bethlehem, Judah. Again, same name. Uh, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Uh, Elimelech means God is my king. And, and somewhat ironic that he didn't seem to be following his king at this point. But that's what the name means, Elimelech. God is my king. Naomi, the name means pleasant, or beautiful, or lots of words from uh, Mahalon means unhealthy, not correctly in child, unhealthy. Uh, Chilion means puny or piney. Uh, now, very often names are descriptive of, of you know, either things that happened around the birth or things that were going on in the lives of parents at that time. 
We don't know why, but um, certainly they lived up to their names, as we'll see. Um, and um, they obviously they get, they went to Moab and they continued there. They didn't just go for a short time. They went and they kind of set up base. This is where they're now going to live. Uh, and Limelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Um, so uh, Elimelech um, moves out of the place of bread and praise. Um, moves out of, uh, of the land that God had given them. Um, uh, and I thought, so again, just that parallel, that when we go into our land of Moab, when we move away from God, um, God is my king, dies. Elimelech dies. That whole idea that God being our king, we die. If we try and go outside of, of God's boundaries for us in our life, then the whole basis that God is our king dies on us. And other things start to creep in. Uh, and, you know, certainly in this instance, Elimelech died in the land. And then we go on verse 4. And they took their wives, and these are the sons, of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other uh, Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. So they've got away, quite a time that away from it. Uh, and Mahalon and Chilion died also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and husbands. So Naomi's um, husband has died now, and her two sons have died as well. Then she arose with the daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people and given them grace. So God turned up and said, And they got what they were waiting for. If only Naomi and her family had trusted God to fight, um, you know, how much did she miss in that Because she was a week this time, and they got to bring back entirely everyone else's. It was a shame. Uh, and it just, just struck me, of, you know, sometimes we are not patient when we're Pray that God's going to do something. It doesn't happen immediately. We go off and try and solve the situation as well. Only to find we end up doing what we were hoping to do. And we've got somewhere else to fix it. It's just an interesting verse. Um, and um, not only that, but um, as a result of her leaving, and this is going to be kind of an important point as we move into the next chapters, um, that Naomi also had lost the land she owned, found the land itself. So they had no land. They've lost everything. She's, she's lost the land, they've moved to Moab, she's lost her husband, she's lost her two sons. At this point, she hears that things have picked up a bit back home uh, for her. So, she, what she decides to do is read in verse 7. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters in law with her. So, they get up and they're, they're all starting to go together. And obviously, on the journey, uh, Naomi stops to think about this. And she says to her daughter in law, verse 8, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you. As you have dealt with the dead and with me, so as she says, as you've dealt with my sons and with me, um, she's saying, Go home. And it's important to realize here what Naomi is really saying. Naomi knows that she's lost everything. She's got nothing to go back to. And as we're going to see in a moment, she's not had any more children. And let's just move on to the text. Um, the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. So she's saying, you know, Go back home and get married again. Uh, you know, at least you'll have a future. Some joy in your life. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept. You know, these girls have been through a lot together. Um, you know, for the girls, their husbands died in the fire. Naomi, her sons, and And they had experienced an awful lot together. And you can understand why there's these tears that we're about to read about. Um, you know, it must have been very, very hard for them. Um, anyway, um, and verse 10, and they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. Now, we've got here a profession. And I think this is very interesting because we're going to see a similar moment. So many people profess to serve the Lord and Christians. And they said, Yeah, that's what we want to do, we want to do it. But you'll see in a moment, one of these goes to the So the profession was there, but it wasn't really enough. And we'll, we'll draw from that um, parable sort of similarities here. Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet more sons uh, in my womb that they may be your husbands? And, you know, she's just underlying this fact that I'm not going to have any more children. Now, that's a strange thing for us to, in, in the first thing. Why is this um, an issue? Why is Naomi saying that I'm not going to have any more children? You know, as if they're going to wait for those children anyway. Well, the reason was because the only way that their land could be got back is if there was an heir or a family member that was able to reclaim the land under Jewish law. I just want to read you from Leviticus. Um, and this is a very important point. Um, it says, um, God speaking here through Moses, it says, The land shall not be sold forever. 
this is drug speaking, all the land of Israel, the land is not to be sold. So if you people had the bits of land, but they were not allowed to sell it forever. Now, it goes on, it says, For the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me, uh, and in all the land of your possession you shall grant a redemption for the land. If thy brother be waxen poor, and has sold away some of his possessions. So what he's saying, if you've got poor, and for whatever reason you've sold his land of God, he says, and if any of his kin, family members, come to redeem it, now then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if a man have none to redeem it, and he himself is able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof, and restore the overplus unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession. But if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which he sold shall remain in the hand of him that has bought it until the year of Jubilee. Now, in the, the, the law, there was this, this agreement that every 50th year, uh, the year of Jubilee, uh, things would return to the owners. So you could buy, say, a piece of land if somebody was selling that piece of land, but in the 50th year, it would then revert to the owners of the land. Um, and also in um, Leviticus 25, 47, 49, carries on, it says, If a sojourner or stranger wax rich by thee, uh, if thy brother that dwells by him wax poor and sells himself unto the stranger or sojourner by thee, um, or to the stock of the stranger's family. So, now, so if you've got somebody that's coming from another land and they buy this piece of land because you can't afford it, you're, you need to, the money basically. Um, uh, after that is sold, uh, he may redeem it again because one of his brethren may redeem it. Um, uh, either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that is nigh of kin unto him uh, of his family may redeem it. Or if he's able, he may redeem himself. So we're looking for uh, a male family member who can redeem his land. The problem is, what they're saying is, I haven't got any male family members that can redeem my land. So we ain't got anything. And if you come back with me, you're not going to get anything. Even if I can have children and they grow up so that they can reclaim on our land, you know, are you going to wait that long for these children to grow up so that you can marry them? You just of course not. So that's, that's the whole reason behind what we're reading here. And then verse 12, we carry on. It says, Then turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband, and if I should say I have hope, and I will you know, and have children, and if I should have a husband also tonight, and, also, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? That's just as you said. Would you stay for them um, from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, this is exactly how Naomi sees it. Now, at the end of this, Naomi is going to have a completely different impression on all of this. Um, if you remember Romans 8.28, all things work together. And God has a plan in these things, and so often things don't go out and we think they should go. And it's, you know, our, our attitude is the same as Naomi, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against us. Verse 14, and they lifted up their voice and they wept again, and all for kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth claved to answer. Um, and this is where many people turn away, when they realize that, you know, that it's all right to say, you know, well, Naomi saying, you know, don't come back with me tonight. And both the girls say, no, no, it's all right, we're going to come back with you, we want to stay with you. Now, there was a, a strong family family bond between these, these, these ladies now. But then Naomi relays the line and says, look, back, you're not going to get married. You know, it's going to be tough, it's going to be tough. Isn't that like it is as a Christian? You know, that we find out that it's going to be tough and hard. And at that point, so many people turn back. And this is, uh, we won't turn to the name, you, you know the scriptures, but in Matthew 13, the parable there, uh, the parable of the Sarah, uh, and we've got four different types of soils. Um, and, and certainly the one that's uh, applicable to this is um, when, when the, the cares of this choke out the word. And so many people are like that. They receive the word, they're they say, yeah, I'm going to come back to you. you know, or, I'm going to be a Christian, I want this. And, you know, maybe start with this in new genuine, really sincere. That word doesn't take root. And the things of this life then choke out all the stuff that God is doing and running through. And you start to count the cost and realize that actually if I'm going to be a Christian, I don't have to make friends with this. It might be difficult for people at work in the life, but you know, again, most of these things. But this is the situation they're in. But then we move on now. Uh, verse 15, and she said, This is Naomi. She's saying, Behold, us talk to Ruth. She said, Behold, thy sister in law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Well, it was interesting. You know, so often the people that go back after they've had that opportunity to serve the Lord go back to their gods, the things that they want to serve. And this is really the crunch point for us. Now, who do we want to serve? You know, we can go back our own way. We can do uh, as author did, or we can go God's way. And it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. You know, this this lie that's propagated by the church at large that you know you become a Christian and God's going to give you peace and happiness and lasting fulfillment. And, you know, that's not what the Bible promises. We're told that we're going to have tribulation in this world. Jesus said, "Dear good cheer, I have 
Now, our, our um, inheritance is not of this world. And funny enough, Ruth seems to understand that as well um, as we go on. But um, uh, Ruth is now faced with this choice. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from falling off thee. She's saying to Naomi, Look, I'm coming with you. And she says, For where thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodge, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. And she's, Ruth at this point has made this declaration that she wants to serve the God of Israel. Now, you know, it's incredible that obviously, even in her situation, Naomi had been addicted to the God of Israel, so much so that Ruth wanted to serve the same God that Naomi had. You know, even though Naomi, uh, Ruth has seen all the problems and, and things that, that occurred, and Ruth still wanted to serve this God. Jane Vernon McGee says, uh, I'll tell you how important this decision is. The decision made that day will determine whether Jesus Christ will be born in Bethlehem. And if the decision is not made, you might as well send words for wise men not to come, because he won't be born yet. Uh, it may not look important to us, but a tremendous decision is And I just thought that really hit me how so often we make a decision and can't now, at the time, did Ruth have any concept of what was going to come? I'm sure she didn't. She just chose to be obedient to this God, this God that she's now claiming as my God, her own God. Um, and because she did that, the scripture unfolds as it was intended. Like how many times are we in situations where we have an opportunity to make a decision? And we think, oh, I don't did Ruth really think this was going to affect people? But it just shows that, you know, that the steps of righteousness are really God is directing the uh, And he's not only understanding Proverbs um, 3, 5, and 6. Chapter 3, 5, and 6. Um, and then we carry on. Uh, verse 17 says, uh, When thou diest, I will die, Ruth speaking, uh, and there I will be buried. Well, why is she making mention of this? The Lord do so to me, and more also, without the death part be in me. So Ruth saying, I will be buried where you're going to be buried. Um, J. Vernon McGee comments, um, the Israelite believed that someday he would rise from the dead to live in that land. This was the hope of Abraham. He never believed that he was going to go to heaven. He believed that he would be raised from the dead right down here. And it's the reason that he bought the cave of uh, Machpelah and buried Sarah there. And he himself was buried there. Isaac had that same hope. Even old Jacob, who died down there in the land of Egypt, said he wanted to be buried back up there where his fathers were buried. This was because they had the hope of resurrection of the dead. They were seeking a city whose builder and maker is God, Hebrews 11, verse 10, uh, which will be a reality on this earth someday. That's the Old Testament hope. When the Lord Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, John 14, 2, I go to prepare a place for you, um, uh, away from this earth, uh, that was brand new. You see, God's promise to Abraham was to give him an eternal home on this earth. And Ruth said, uh, not only that when Naomi died, she would die, uh, but also, and there I will be buried. You see, her hope is in that land, just as the hope of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been. What was quite interesting insight is that she obviously understood enough from what Naomi had said to want to go back to the land of Israel, knowing this is that God has said he can live here. Um, the same idea is actually um, comes up in the book of Job as well, um, this idea of, of being resurrected, etc. Um, Verse 18, uh, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So at this point, Naomi knows that Ruth's going with her. There's nothing she's going to do to talk her down. Um, so they go back together. And so, so the two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass that when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved up. And they said, is this Naomi? Now, the barrier is about a 50-mile journey over quite mountainous and treacherous terrain. Um, so it wasn't an easy journey back. But they nevertheless made this journey to get back to the Israel. Now, obviously, it was quite stern. Now, Bethlehem is a town of um, di different numbers around history, but I mean, if you say no more than 8,000, um, you know, it's not a huge town. And, um, you know, obviously, they come back, and there's a lot of talk going on that, you know, this is not even how he's come back. And they also know that he's been out. They may have even known at this point, um, you know, some of the history of the things that have happened to Naomi. Naomi had obviously got word that they bred back, so maybe we from the other one also. And she said to them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the mighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now, I just want to read you now something that uh, Chuck uh, Smith says in his commentary. I thought it really just um, uh, explains this verse. Um, it says, um, Now we know that that is true. 
We know that God does hold life in his hands. We know that God is able to sustain life. We know that God is able to restore life. We know that the days of man are appointed of God. Thus, there is this inclination to blame God for death. And in a sense, that's right. But in another sense, we only feel bitterness because we have a totally wrong concept of death um, as it is being the end. As it, as it being the end. Um, um, oh, we had, uh, that is, sorry, oh, we had, this is quoting uh, oh, we had his whole life in front of him, everything was going for him, and what a shame. Chuck says, I heard this said so much when my younger brother was killed. He's a handsome, good looking, big guy, uh, just had everything going for him. Good sense of business, and he was making investments, and just everything for him into line. He bought an airplane so that he could get back and forth between his business better. He crashed in his airplane. And people said, oh, what a shame, his whole life in front of him, what a shame. Yes, what a shame. Uh, he got there before I did. He says, by the time I arrive, he's going to go every nook and cranny. It's going to take me a while to catch up. Uh, you know he's with the Lord. Uh, what's so bad about that? He's there in God's kingdom. What's so sad? The sad part is that I miss him. The sad part is that I'll miss all the fun that we used to have together. He was an exciting person. He used to always be doing crazy things, exciting things. I miss that. I sorrow because of what I've lost. But I don't sorrow for him. I'm not jealous of him being with the Lord. How glorious. Not having, to have, not having to hassle with gas lines, with bills, and all the kind of things that we have to experience. How wonderful. I'll catch up with him one of these days. But we have the wrong attitude to see concerning death. We look at this life as though, oh, it's so precious, it's so wonderful, hang on to it. That's because of the uncertainty that life, um, that he had, uh, uncertainty of that life that he had promised to us, uh, and our, our, our lapses of faith. But don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. That's sad. It's sad whenever you become bitter over any experience of your life because bitterness can be hurt you. We are warned to be careful of any root of bitterness within our lives because of the effect that it can have on the totem. The bitter roots can bring forth bitter fruit in your life. We must guard against bitterness. Bitterness is an attitude that I choose because of the circumstances that I face. I don't have to become bitter, but I choose to become bitter. For there are other people who go through the exact similar circumstances and they become better people because they learn to commit and trust God a bit more. They say, well, it's all in the Lord's hands and I belong to the Lord and God is just giving me strength and God has just given me uh, the capacities in me. They've become actually better people. Some of the greatest people I know are people who have suffered uh, incessantly through life. And uh, through the suffering, there has been a depth of character developed uh, in that, um, that is unparalleled by others who have never experienced more sorrow. Out of suffering, out of sorrow, the roots can go deep into God, the life can become beautiful, strong, and powerful. Or you can root into bitterness, and your life becomes bitter and tight and tense. It's tragic when a person gives himself over to bitterness. It's all in how you look at the situation. And I can look uh, at it, and I can become bitter and say, if God loved me, then why did he allow this to happen to me? My life becomes tense, I become tight, and my blood vessels begin to constrict, uh, and there's not a real flowing in there. My whole life is so tense. I begin to actually get the effects of it physically. Or I can say, while well, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. All things work together for good, and God has a plan and he loves me. And I know that he's wishing me in Whatever it is, whatever it is, God's working out the plan in my life. Praise the Lord. And God, you know that I um, need to have this work done. You're just seeking to conform me into your image as your perfect work in my life. So I can become a better person, uh, sorry, I can become a better person, an open person, and filled with God's love. I can flow with the beautiful fruits of love and faith and hope to others. Naomi, for the moment, was, was, was responding in the wrong way. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Oh, oh how sad, that's sad when you've allowed the circumstances of your life to join us your feelings and you turn bitter against God, and bitter against the circumstances of life. And Naomi thought it was all over. She thought that it was the end of the road. She didn't know the plan that God was working on. Just one little, um, um, little change from our model plot. It's not until after the Okay, um, last two verses in this chapter this evening. It says, um, Naomi says, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. And when they call me, um, so, uh, why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? You know, when we leave God's place, the place of bread, 
clothes, closer to his work and clothes. Um, and we go and try and find sustenance and other things. Um, we'll come back in, just like Philip assembled. You know, he went, had his fun in the world, and came back with nothing. And just as Naomi had done here. Um, you know, we, we read at the beginning that um, she thought that, that um, she thought that she'd left Ent, you know, that she had nothing when he left her. And she didn't realize that she did. So often that's again, similar to where we are. You know, we don't realize what God has given us. So many blessings that the wise around us. Um, now she realizes that she has to have fun before she went out, even in a, a land where there's fun, um, where she is now. Um, and as she comes back, she's really empty. And obviously, she's, she's looking around, and maybe we're doing it for So, Naomi returns, and Ruth the Moabite and so did from there with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. And barley harvest would have been springtime, Passover time, around about that time of year. Um, and um, there's another parallel there. Um, Obviously, that, that uh, Naomi was originally brought into the land for, and she was driven from the land, uh, which echoes the diaspora story of Israel. Obviously, she returns, she has nothing. That brings us to the end of chapter one. As we go into to chapter two, uh, we start to see some glimmer of hope. And it's, in a sense, it's kind of depressing chapter that way because, you know, it's losing everything. Um, but had she stayed in the lands, you know, would she have lost everything? Um, I, I think one of the things that hit me was, you know, when you go out of the house of bread, you go into the land of Moab, um, then God is my king, guys. So that was my powerful. Hopefully it will serve for us as well. A reminder that when circumstances are difficult for us in this land, we need to be patient for them anyway. Because bread will be the land for the Because Naomi are trying to, and the family are trying to do it their own way. As I say, we'll pick up next week, uh, we start to uh, see some more glimmers of hope. So.